think the crowdsourcing environment also leads us to get really enthusiastic about getting our films made. And we don't necessarily match the, what we have on the page to our resources. So you've got your like Melville size, 30 page epic drama. And you raised $5,000 on your crowdsourcing. <laughs> um, and so being able to understand, I know that this is the show that you want to make right now, but is it the show any that's going to really open the doors? Is it a show that you can really create well with the resources you have? Welcome back to Nothing Shines Like Dirt, episode 51. I'm Leslie Shannon. And I'm Elise Sievert. Today we are speaking with filmmaker and film festival director, Kimberly Browning. We talk about her film festival, Hollywood Shorts. Shorts are short. And film festivals are sexy. They're like, I'm just going to be a little schmammered. Mm-hmm. All of the time. <laughs> uh, my whole That's life. It. Just just a little. Exactly. Just to make it. I had a woman I knew uh, that went to law school at Tulane. Oh, yeah? And in her undergrad uh, uh, had developed an allergy to alcohol <gasps> and ended up having to be in law school in New Orleans, not able to. So whenever she'd have a glass of wine – what she would have to do for mental health from time to time, her entire <laughs> face, like she would have a beer and her entire face would just go beet red. Oh my And she'd gosh. get itchy and scratchy. Ooh. And I'm like, ah, well, ah. I mean, you might as well have gone to Oregon or something. I mean, yeah. you're in Tulane <laughs> yeah. in law school. school. I yeah. mean, can you Can't. imagine? Mm-hmm. Allergic. No. She's allergic. She was allergic to alcohol and shrimp. I was, and you're- <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I mean, really, honestly, take the train back home. You're like, you might as what well miss, just go now. Mm-hmm, missed opportunity. what's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, it's such a funny thing. People talk about the weather in LA all the mm-hmm. time, but it's for real. Like, the reason pe- part of the reason people go there and never want to leave, they're like, why do I want to deal with that bullshit the weather's again? amazing. I loved February <laughs> this year. Amazing. Like, I was like, I hate February. I hate February. Was in LA for February. We I had a good February. time in February. Yeah, we, we did. We had a good old time. Yeah. We ate pancakes. We did eat pancakes. Yes. Grilled oh. cheese. <laughs> I have our little spot. So what inspired you to start the Hollywood Shorts, the, the film festival? We started Hollywood Shorts in 1998 uh, because I had begun working as a screener um, and beginning to work as a programmer at several bigger festivals in the area. And one of the challenges for huge feature fests, particularly 20 years ago when we started, um, is that there were maybe two or three shorts programs. So maybe a a huge festival that's showing 30 or 40 features really only has room to show 20 or 30 short films. And so we were seeing these amazing films that were beautiful, but that festivals just couldn't find room for. Um, And we all needed a place to show our films. It started on time and sounded great. Uh, that you didn't have to pay a ton of money. Back then, you'd have to rent a screening room for thousands of dollars, and then you'd have to go to a Sam French bookstore and buy the labels that had all the producers' labels, make some postcards, put the labels on the postcards, mail them. And then that agent or manager or producer would send their assistant, who was there with a date, to go to your screening while they were on their way to like the Viper room to see a band. So the only way that that person 
was going to talk to you is because you're standing in the doorway as they're trying to leave the theater. Otherwise, that engagement that people were investing so much money, if you couldn't get into AFI, which was kind of the only festival at the time, LA Film Festival was a year old, um, LA Independent. And so that was the need. I happened to come from the music side of things and booked a bunch of live clubs that all had the best sound systems in town. And, you know, VHS was brand new technology. And so all these music venues were putting big screens in and VHS projectors so that they could show cool That's videos. That's very LA the to me. Mm-hmm. Like the restaurants, even. Mm-hmm. Like I notice that when I go to LA. Like the, the things are very screens, visual. Yes. Um, and so I, you know, just hit up my friend who owned the bar and said, well, we're setting, we're in here setting up for Sunday night anyway. The eight o'clock band is going to be a guy with his acoustic guitar, his girlfriend, and his mom. So, <laughs> love it. So while we're setting up, let me, you know, show like an hour of movies and get some people in the place and they'll stay for the band. Um, and he went for it. And so the first one we ever did, 200 people showed up. It was packed. People were on the sidewalk looking through the window watching movies in L.A. And there was just nothing like it in town. And so it just became kind of um, a home for a lot of really amazing artists that have come through over the years. Well, because one of the things that as filmmakers, anytime when you start making films, most people don't just say, oh, I'm going to make a feature. Like you mm-hmm. want to like test the waters and and figure out like how do you do this thing called filmmaking? And so like I think it's it's really f- funny too. Well, just money purposes. <laughs> it's sure. e- it, You know, it's yeah, easier absolutely. to get friends together and make a short than – Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because it's less time requirement. <laughs> yeah. It just, it's, it's just, yeah. it's where you start usually. And so it's sure. such a nice, um, it's always nice to find um, venues where they cater to shorts because you mm-hmm. can get people who are incredible who, but it can be really discouraging when you've put all the time, because you still put lots of time, energy and effort into mm-hmm. making shorts. And then you don't have anywhere, like mm-hmm. a lot of places won't show them. Like right. The, big, the bigger festivals that people it's really, very it's very difficult. Small, yeah. I am, uh, you know, it's it's a numbers game. So the top tier film festivals are getting four, five, seven thousand short film submissions, and your average top tier feature festival is going to take fifty to a hundred short films. Um, there's some wonderful exceptions: Cleveland Film Festival, Newport Beach Film Festival, also do. Um, a full throated short film festival within the scope. So Cleveland, which just happened, is one of my favorites. Um, Paul will show anywhere between 150 to 200 shorts, in addition to a very, very robust feature program. And Newport Beach does the same. And so uh, those are very rare entities among the top tier feature festival world. So kind of pre-digital pre us being able to really share our work with each other directly, you have to remember what it took to get a film made. Um, and so just getting your hands on a 35 millimeter camera. And the reason you did shorts is because you would get short ends, right? That's all the film you had. <laughs> <laughs> and That's so interesting. So when you were starting out and so at school, whether you were going through film school or you were on your own journey because your dad worked in the business and had access to a Panavision camera or an Aerie Flex, um, 
it was about short ends and it was about getting 10,000, 20,000 feet of film so that you could craft your message. Um, and that's what you're allowed to make in film school. It's all the film they gave you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, because, I mean, it's uh, technology has changed so much mm-hmm. over, like, the past five years, much less yeah. the la- like since 1998. Yeah. Um, so we've really <laughs> been well, at a very, in, really, really a significant time. Yeah. Well, I think it's so amazing, too, okay. that um, there were there weren't that many short film festivals 20 years ago That's right. and now there's so, so many. many and what's your advice and for like navigating overall. that yes uh one of the dynamics that's been really amazing in the festival world is how quickly things have grown we estimate that there's about 7200 festivals out there now um, and so they, it hasn't just like doubled every 10 years, it's exploded. Um, and there's a couple different reasons. I think what's been really wonderful is across the world in, in communities, um, film lovers and cinephiles have realized that they too can bring a collection <clears throat> and an, and an event to their town. <clears throat> um, and so we've seen so many mom and pops and um, great small town independent theaters be kind of the base camp to have this movement happen. I think also there was a time that I think film festivals are sexy and I think people thought there was money in it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're like, little do they know. (laughs) Yeah, and I can understand why they would think that. Mm there's lifestyle in terms of the types of sponsors that are attracted normally to a lot of the brand name festivals seem like, it just seems like we, we make a lot of money. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people got into it, um, but mostly to bring this arts community. And it now that we don't have 35 millimeter platters you have to mail, when it was a VHS tape and then it was a DVD, it became more tenable to be able to afford to even do a festival because the mailing fees weren't so significant. And the actual, what it took to make a, you know, like having to have a, a theater that had a projector um, and what you had to do to calibrate there, it was a very expensive process. And so just like on the filmmaking side, the festival side, operations costs in some ways have become more more feasible. The, the, the technical aspect of running a festival. Now there's still festivals out there that, um, have a challenge in their structure and how they work, but but it's really about people being really passionate, and they only have big theaters in their town, and they want to be able to see great independent film on the big screen. That's incredible. I noticed too. For not only do you have <clears throat> like the regular Hollywood shorts, but you also have specific. Um, to different groups like of people, which I thought was really cool to okay. highlight um, people who might not get as much exposure mm-hmm. short film-wise. You want to talk a little bit about sure. those groups? In March, we do a focus on women filmmakers. We always throughout the year, uh, from our very beginning, have always had um, a more inclusive programming agenda when I first started than a lot of the festivals that I was associated with. Um, (laughs) And it wasn't necessarily an agenda, uh, but I just 
programmed from a point of view of wanting to hear from a lot of different voices. And then on top of our regular monthly inclusion, being able to do a showcase of black filmmakers in February, something that was really cool that I get to do. Um, and then we connected with a group called Directed by Women that encourages um, international, everybody doing something in the month of September that supports women filmmakers. So I donated a September screening as well. So we do a lot of events and we look for opportunity throughout the year. Um, but normally in March, we tend to do something that puts a lot of women directors on screen. That's incredible. Because I mean, the it's thing cool. is, is uh, there are a lot more people doing like female filmmakers than um, like, I'm, I'm, we've talked about this so many times, but I think um, the rate that they graduate from film school is equivalent to men at this 50%. point. It's, it's exactly It has the been. Mm -hmm. The challenge has been those numbers don't translate uh, into getting your first film directed. And so many of us end up, um, once we get into our script supervisor job or our vanities job or our post job, uh, sailing through and still coming through and getting your feature directed, our numbers fall off remarkably. And there's statistics and there are theories and a lot of arguments about why that is <laughs> uh, in terms of because it's been consistent in film school and out in the world of shorts, we see a lot of parody. It's 50% of women are doing the thing. So how does it drop to 14, 7% in television uh, to women directors over that, you know, three year span that um, people are getting their first shows done. So it's, it's, Talking about it and being conscious of it hopefully will help break break the barrier. But the more that we create venues and stages and screens uh, that you know identify women directors, and so whether that's Citizen Jane or Bentonville or you know any festival that just is conscious of the filmmakers that they're putting up on their screens, um, show the best films. Some of the best films are made by women. <laughs> yeah, they are. But it's a conversation that keeps coming up, and it's like, what kind of actions can we all take? I mean, but besides watching, you know, women directed, going to the theater mm -hmm. and purchasing yes. tickets, and um, you know, yeah, you have to dispel that rumor that those films don't sell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and just like finding actionable steps of whether it's you know supporting a festival that supports women in film or. I don't know. I think it's those mm -hmm. little things add up and it's, Absolutely. it's a, I mean, panel after panel, I think we're all trying to figure out how to get those numbers. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and for me, it's staying focused on how am I getting my next film made? And I think that being perseverant in that way is critical for us to stay true and stay strong to our art. So I think a lot of, you know, what's my personal responsibility in my own filmmaking journey? And what did I get made today? What did I get done today? Um, I think is a really important part of that, that thing. That's a good segue. Do you want to talk in about your own filmmaking and what you're working yes. on oh, or gosh. excited about? Or um, He's like, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I think 
uh, as a producer right now, one of the things I get very excited about is I am the producer of HBO Access. Um, and HBO Access runs a writing fellowship and a directing fellowship um, for women and minority writers and directors of television. And so as the producer of the director's fellowship, we get to um, meet 10 to 12, 15 of some of the top emerging TV directors coming down the path. And um, they get to pitch uh, on some of the TV shows that were developed in the Writers' Fellowship last season. And then this summer, three of them will be selected, and they each will be granted about 100 grand to, to, to make their pilot. And so I'm really, really fortunate to get to be on the front lines of – um, creating the army that goes into the battle with these directors and changing their, they're really changing their lives. TV is the hardest uh, community to break into as a director. It's very, very difficult to direct television and to get episodes assignments. Um, and so to be able to be a part of creating really great TV that they get to then take around. Um, HBO is really great. This is for them to get to know a lot of the different HBO departments as well and the showrunners. But then they get to take their HBO pilot and take it around town. So everybody from our fellowship last season are now working and have been staffed in episodic television. That's so it's exciting. It's incredible. It's incredible. And so we have 12 amazing candidates that we're going to be meeting this week here in New York and in L.A., and um, and then we're gonna pick three and and get get rocking and rolling. Right. Very exciting. <laughs> yeah. I know that is. I'm like like really I know excited. The directors guilds um, through Actor Friends, they're putting a lot of like series regulars on TV shows. The directors guilds on women are like, do you want to direct? We want you to direct. We want you to direct TV. And right. I, I mean, I even see it on mm-hmm. following Instagram too. Like, which is which is really great too that they're trying yeah. to recruit. Yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of um, encouraging people and women and kids. I think outreach to the the economics of a career in entertainment um, is more than acting. And I think uh, the sooner that we can get cameras into the hands of kids, uh, the more that they know that there are so many career opportunities in film and television and radio. Um and so from craftsmen to any job that you have in any sector of the United States, private sector, there's a job within the film and television community that uses that skill set. Mm-hmm. So if you can make amazing houses, then you probably could be an amazing production designer. And mm-hmm. so, or a construction foreman um, in terms of building, you know, a set of Game of Thrones, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and so it's incredible. How many guests we've had on were like, I thought all there was, if you were in the entertainment industry, I thought it was just acting. Like there's so many behind the scene jobs. That's right, careers. Yeah, yeah. And and much more stable careers than acting. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, not to say that they're like the day jobs. Yeah, but TV. They're longer. You know, people who work in union jobs in television, I mean, those are really can be very steady um, uh, jobs and, and relatively normal schedules. You can kind of go home and you take your kids to work or be home for your kids at dinner. So um, a lot of people like that lifestyle that episodic television provides. So 
I mean, you still got to always hustle to kind of get on a show season to season and you never know when a show's going to be renewed or not. Uh, but generally speaking, as opposed to a feature that takes seven years to get made, TV is a great way to go. And it's expanding so much what TV means, the digital landscape, so many more TV creators, outlets, networks. Yeah, so, so much content and episodic yeah, content. There's just a lot more work around. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully that's creating more work for everybody. Yeah, that would That's the dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you can start your own thing. And so that's kind of my background and and what I dig is, you know, never waiting for somebody to say it was okay for me to make a film today. And so it's great that everything else has kind of caught up to that sensibility. Um, And now we really have the tools and a real accessibility and a real little D democratic way to hear voices from all kinds of backgrounds yeah that we couldn't oh my god before. and stories and and Absolutely. yeah telling different stories yeah and yeah. so now that people can have a real cinematic approach to things they're making even on a mobile device is really incredible yeah do you have because you watch so many shorts? <laughs> I really, I really, really do. And a lot of our <laughs> listeners are just starting to create their own okay. work. Do you have advice for mistakes or things that first time, maybe even yeah. second or third time short filmmakers could could watch out for? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a short. <laughs> it's called a short film. S H O R T. And so. I, I feel when we are just standing up in our writer voices and um, you want to make sure that your audience gets what you're trying to say. And so sometimes we all have the tendency to over explain and to over dictate to our audience because we want to make sure they're getting what we have to say. I kind of feel like they, that, that saying goes when you're explaining, you're losing. <laughs> you know, trust your writing, trust your actors. When your films, like, have the courage to let your film end and, and give yourself the time to figure out what that ending is with an editor that's not you. <laughs> <laughs> that's good advice, too. To explore what the various options are, what you intended with the script, and now the, what you really have in terms of the, the, the materials that you've created, what you've shot, and how to express it. At the end of the day, people just don't end their films when they should. Films are just too long. I think the crowdsourcing environment also leads us to get really enthusiastic about getting our films made. And we don't necessarily match the, what we have on the page to our resources. So you've got your like Melville size 30 page epic drama. And you raised $5,000 on your crowdsourcing. <laughs> um, and so being able to understand, I know that this is the show that you want to make right now, but is it the show any that's going to really open the doors? Is it a show that you can really create well with the resources you have? Um, and we see so many people spend money on the circus tent and not on the artist inside. The trapeze artist, when you get inside, it's got like one leg and there's no net. <laughs> and she didn't rehearse. Mm-hmm. But the tents, glorious. Look, look awesome. Amazing. And there were like 12 of them mm-hmm. in four different states. So 
which which really translates to why do you've got three, four locations in your short film? Why are there so many people? Why are there so many? Get to the heart of the matter. Show me what you and your performers can do and what it is that you have to say and what your point of view is. And that doesn't mean that I, I need to see period vehicles from the 1960s to, to show that you're a great storyteller. Why are you spending money on that crap when you sh- and you only have two takes from your actors, none of which are good because you didn't give your actors time to really marinate and get into their process. And so you stretch your resources over three days instead of having really good amounts of time to really work with your actors and get as many takes and really expand this scene of what this movie is really about. Sorry. No, that's I, great. I, no, that's what we want. Very advice. passionate is somebody who has to watch your 40 minute film. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you consider that none to of us be... can program anywhere? <laughs> well, that's one of the things that I've seen a lot of people talk about is like, how how short is too short and how long sure. is too long? Sure. So I'm going to approach it a little bit differently. I come at it from a different point of view. As as you get experience and as you grow and you make your third and your fourth and your fifth films, we want you to express your story. I, I want you to tell your story. And your film needs to be as long as it takes to make your case. Then you need to adjust your festival strategy to what you have. So if you've got a beautiful documentary that needs 35 minutes to really tell it, then you need to understand where to take your film and how to navigate the road. You also have to understand that you have to double your festival budget and your marketing budget because you're going to have to go to twice as many festivals to try to get the same um, acceptance rate as you would. A 10 to 12-minute film is really fundamentally great to program. For us that do programming, we're putting together 70 to 90 minutes of taking an audience through a journey. So it's tough to program more than two or three 25-minute films because you're taking a spot of three films. So if I'm choosing a 25-minute film, it's exceptional. (laughs) It's a glorious, beautiful, perfectly executed piece of crafts and storytelling and it's very very difficult to achieve um and there's many times that there's two or three films over 20 minutes that we love but we only have space for one of them so i don't want anybody making a film for festival but as you're looking at the different scripts before you and you want something that's going to really get you out to festival because you want to meet people, you want to get your stuff out there, you want to create news items that you can then raise people's awareness about you and your filmmaking, try to keep it under 20 minutes. It makes it really much easier for us to have a place for it if the film's great. If your film is over 20 minutes long, you have to adjust your expectations and your festival strategy to know that it's it's so much more difficult for us to find a place for it just in a numbers game and it's really really hard to make a film great after 18 minutes there's so many other technical components which we won't go into here it's a whole different subject matter but when you have that much exposition happening how do you tie it up and so there's all kind of technical aspects as well but at the end of the day you're sitting you've bought your $14 ticket to a festival you don't want to see three films in your short film program. Yeah. Or, you know, 
Somebody will put like a 40-minute short with a couple of five-minute shorts, and it, it can be mentally a difficult – it's not as enjoyable of an exercise. So we try to keep that in mind as we're building our stories and taking you on a journey with these various directors. So it's, it's, I'm shoving a lot of stuff in there, but it's, it's a lot of things. Tell your story and adjust your festival strategy to fit what your film needs. Perfect. I think that's a great answer because I think that a lot of times people are like, they want that easy, like it needs to be this long and this long. But Anybody who tells you that is giving you um, a technical answer from us as programmers. But at the end of the day, there are a ton of 10-minute films that suck. <laughs> and I'm never going to program <laughs> You're like, just because it's 10, 10 minutes. 10 minutes doesn't mean it's great. So don't get yeah. caught up. Your 12-minute yeah. film, your 14-minute film, if it's not well acted, if performances are mediocre, if I've seen this film so many different times, so many different ways, and your film doesn't take me anywhere new in this trope, um, if the sound sucks, <laughs> if it's not interesting, if your camera work's not interesting, I'm not, pl- I'm not programming it, but as you are crafting what you can do to really show what you can do and your talent and the story you want to tell me, you know, understanding that that time zone for most programmers is, is a lot easier. Just the, the technical process of programming. Do you think web series have changed fest- the festivals or mm-hmm. like, like- – in, in what ways yeah. have you seen? Um, what's wonderful is that the festival world has really embraced the web series communities, and it's happening in two ways. More traditional mainstream festivals are either including web series in their short film programming um, or growing beyond that. At Cleveland would take a couple web series and throw them in, and they were, uh, they've now expanded where they have their own web series division. Um, Tribeca here uh, obviously has been a real leader in episodic and television and web um, and interactive storytelling and 360 storytelling. So the other thing that's been great is the advent of the web festival, web and television festivals. This probably growing faster than any other category. So in addition to South By and Tribeca and festivals like ours that are more inclusive of, of either having a web category where they have a best web series um, award or they are at least including episodics within their short film programming, the, the glut <laughs> of web series festivals, everything from Hollyweb to, I mean, there's just so many, mm-hmm. Miami, Seattle, Spain, everywhere. And that's really exciting um, to have brick and mortar places that are becoming the new advent of where industry and content creators and uh, production people are all really coming together in their own communities. Absolutely. It's having a big, big impact. It's a reflection of television right now too. That That's right. Yeah. That's right. So when you've got Sundance starting an episodic lab. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because there's so much amazing television and that's... So much amazing television. Um, Listen, at the end of the day, after the economy fell apart, 
uh, festivals really, really suffered because the lifestyle brands that were the life's blood of the financial support of festivals literally died. Like the car industry almost went away in this country. And the car sponsorships were so significant on the festival circuit. And so for that money to dry up immediately like that and never really did never came back and, you know, the big Mercedes sponsorship for Sundance. And, you know, there was a lot of that lifestyle, you know, stuff coming in. So, you know, Netflix had money to spend. So how do you get the Netflix sponsorship? And so there is a change in the marketplace because there's been a change in business. And so festivals have have adapted. But at the end of the day, some of the most creative, innovative, groundbreaking, inclusive storytelling and filmmaking is happening on the TV side and on the, you know, that line between web and digital and episodic. The streaming platforms and Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's becoming... um, the the cloud is is growing to include all of it. So it's an exciting time. For those of us who were like webcasting 1998, you know, and <laughs> encoding films and, you know, we were one of the first groups putting short films on the internet. So to kind of be at the forefront of that and see where we've come, it's fantastic. <laughs> very, very dope. Do you have recommendations um, where short films can live after they do the festivals? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. As you really explore your film and what it's about, and, and for those in docs, this is kind of a no-brainer, but many of our films and our narratives and our characters have their own um, connection or anchor point. So depending upon what the film is about, there's the educational and institutional options where depending upon if there's a theme, a political issue, a character struggling with a social or political issue, physical issue, medical, sometimes our, even our narrative films are embraced by the educational institutional community who build symposiums around them and talks and lecture circuit um, and then libraries love independent <laughs> cinema and love short films um, and will buy your download or your DVD. So people think about it more naturally in the documentary side, but if you've done a really compelling film that has a character struggling with a medical issue or a mental health issue or a political issue, there's probably a group out there that would embrace it and want to maybe take it on the circuit and build even lesson plans around it or ways that you can impact. Sometimes you can take a narrative into schools, into group homes, um, and have more of an impact than a documentary that maybe um, comes at it in a less entertaining way. Um, And so there are groups and companies, um, that Seventh Art and Chicken and Egg, and lots of groups out there that facilitate that. Uh, Also... To me, we make our short films to get our names out there and to get as many eyeballs as possible on our work. And so I think putting our films behind paywalls at, at the short film level is counterproductive. So unless your film is one of five that got nominated for an Oscar or <laughs> something similar, your film won Berlin, your short film won Sydney, unless you're one of those rarefied 30 films a year that um, are having a a run like that, 
you want people to see your work and you want people to get to know you and give you money to make your next film. Um, so for short filmmakers, I want to see everybody's film online and between Vimeo, short of the week, and the hundreds of platforms. And finding your people, if you have a great comedy piece, then hit every comedy website out there and plant that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the you know, if you've got a shorter piece, Facebook's good at for stuff that's three to five minutes long. But at the end of the day, I just love finding innovative and creative ways. If you've got anything that could be, there's a whole museum circuit. If you've got a film that's more artistic, has experimental components, um, or is about art or an artist, uh, many beautiful museums have stunning theaters. Several. LACMA's got three movie theaters in their premises, I think. So, And they're always looking for beautiful content and amazing themes around that. So women's clubs, YMCAs. I mean, if you can really think outside the box, I love doing outdoor venue screenings. Um, Hollywood Shorts is doing an outdoor screening venue at the Ford Theater in L.A. over the summer. We love taking unusual environments like bars. (laughs) And that extends across the platform. So if you are in uh, somewhere where it snows, have your local guy make a sheet of a wall of snow and you can show movies outside and people come out and you cuddle, you get blankets, hot chocolate, like and create this kind of environment. So I love finding really innovative and unorthodox ways to, to share our films. People aren't going to the theater as much as they used to. That's right. Yeah. So so making it an experience like that. Well, because mm-hmm. that's what people like our particular, like the millennial generation, what they're doing is it's, I mean, they've done study after study is they want to have experiences above everything else, like above owning homes or owning like actual property and physical things. Right. So the more that we can cater to the people who are the main, like who are going to be a lot of the people who are coming to watch mm-hmm. the smart, I mean, that just makes logical yeah. sense. Yeah. I mean, I hope that that inspires the the common experience at the end of the day. So hopefully we'll see the drive-in experience come back in a different way. We're, we're seeing uh, outshoots of it, it, the kind of festival identity, but um, it's kind of one of those music events where everybody's got their own headsets on, but everybody's listening to the same thing, mm-hmm. but via headsets. Um, Are those like outdoor dance parties? That's right. Yeah, yeah, outdoor dance parties. And so seeing that concept infiltrate will bring us back to what the drive-in was back in the day. So I believe that the true cinematic experience is never going to totally go away. I think it's something that's so special and so kinetic. We will always want to... Go see Avengers Thursday night at midnight at the Arclight. Um, well, there's something with you know sitting I mean? with a huge group of people and watching something mm-hmm. together. And, right. You know, it's just it's exactly. But at the energy. end of the day, I've got my laptop and my phone and my computer, and it's all giving me all the content that kid needs. So I just watched like four episodes of The American, and then I went back and had some True Detective time, um, and then watched a couple features on. I mean. It's, it's all being delivered to us in our palm, in our hand. And so how do we create content that's going to get people up and outside to come to have a communal experience? 
Absolutely. Well, I think that that's part of the issues that theaters are having and because a lot of big studios keep endorsing the same and paying for the same types of movies over and over and over again. And when people come out to watch them, it's when they're different. Yeah. And And hopefully that's going to click with the, with the money people. Well, I, I, I think you, you have to look at the business models because at the end of the day, those revenues keep these businesses open and there are theaters every day going out of business. Um, and so it's not sustainable. And so what are we going to do is move into this next chapter of what it's going to take to be able to keep movie theaters alive. Um, and so those that are moving into the exhibition business have to understand that component and that dynamic. Um, when you have an art film that's going to be in six theaters and is going to bring two, three hundred thousand um, dollars, a, a theater cannot sustain just on that. So, uh, as that's the dilemma. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, and that's harder for people who have indie films too, like getting them into into people. But the positive thing is now that they're so more, they're so much more easily accessible via the internet. Mm -hmm. That's another way that they're going to be able to be seen for sure. But it is. Thank you, Netflix. Yeah. You know, (laughs) thank you. Streaming services. Seeing how movie pass changes things too. You know, I was just talking to a friend of mine in exhibition. I don't know much about movie pass. And it seems like we've been a little underground programming Trebekah <laughs> and it seems like since kind of we went underground to do that that movie pass thing has happened and so I was just asking a friend of mine last week who runs a couple of theaters in LA what the deal was and as an independent theater owner movie pass is working very well for him and getting a lot of people into his independent theaters to watch independent cinema that he says normally wouldn't come through uh, he was trying to explain to me why for the bigger facilities, it's not a good thing yeah. for them. And so I'm still learning and getting my head around its impact. But from an independent filmmaker, you know, his theater has got maybe one or two night run, sometimes a week run for an independent film. And he said, movie pass people are showing up just because they're going to see whatever's coming up because they have the movie pass and they want to come out yeah. and they'll watch whatever's on his screen. So um, they're coming out for the experience, not the film itself necessarily. So, so that's exciting because then it's turning people onto smaller films that they wouldn't see at the AMC. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested too, like, and I know this is like a little, a little too um, early for this, but I would be interested to see like socially what kind of change it makes. The fact that mm-hmm. now more people are experiencing different types of films that they wouldn't because it's such a, a medium that can impact people's lives. And so I'm kind mm-hmm. of interested socially, like what sort of like, does it, yeah. does it help people to think about something in a different way than they would have before. I don't know. Like it's, it's way too early to know anything like that. I also think interested. I'm interested in outside of the LA and New York market because oh, a absolutely. lot of is movie pass having an impact in smaller towns that maybe only has like where my mom lives, there is no independent theater. And so there's two theaters um, and they both are showing whatever the first one film is. It's a small mountain town. So for her to see an independent film, she's like, what's going to drive to Reno? <laughs> My mother has Netflix. <laughs> so no, you know, she's not really doing good, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm really curious how movie pass impacts um, some of the smaller DMAs and, and cities that well, and don't have those, such a plethora of independent theaters. 
some of those cities, that's all there is to do is that's go to right. the movies. Oh, yeah. Where I'm from that's in Mississippi, right. that is. Like, people go to see movies. And like, do math. Yes. And do math. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. I never do uh-huh. math, but people do art uh-huh. and do lots of it. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it's true that in terms of a lot of places where the cinema is kind of the only thing, uh, how would that does movie pass impact them at all? I don't know. I yeah, mean, it's that's a great. Question. I'm still getting up to speed on on what the deal is. But, yeah, um, and their business model, like, because I'm like, how are you gonna make money? I mean, I if it's like a gym pass where people just pay and then don't mm-hmm. go and yeah, kind I of think forget it's based about on it. That, that algorithm, yeah, that only ten percent <laughs> is going to actually maximize the benefits, and that will pay for the ninety that don't. So, um, I think they're underestimating how many. Mm-hmm. Um, how many poor or not um, artists who don't have a lot of money who otherwise don't see as many films, but they're right. like, what? Wouldn't I you can go, go crazy. All of the time? Yeah. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how in the long run, um, it doesn't seem sustainable to me. But again, if their intention is disruption, uh, yeah, then maybe that's yeah. the value and that leads to whatever the second generation is going to be of subscription modeled movie going. Yeah. I do not know. Well, we'll have to be on the yes. lookout Wait for it. Wait and see. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. So, Kimberly, where yes. can people find you online? Oh, sure. Hollywood Shorts, all one word. We are across all platforms. So, you can find me on Please Instagram. Um, I'll be posting some of our Tribeca fun times coming up soon. Um, we're on Facebook, where you can also post tell us stuff about you and the films that you're making and the festivals you've gone to. We want to hear about your festival experiences um, and where you've had a good time where festival programmers really did a good job or you felt there was a special experience that you had at a festival. We want to hear your shout outs about what festivals are doing a really good job across the country. Um, And on Twitter, we are at Hollywood Shorts. So say hi. (laughs) That's easy to remember. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for thank you for having taking me. time out yes. of your busy New absolutely. York whirlwinds. Entertaining. It was absolutely <laughs> was. Lots of good awesome. info. I know you have so much passion for for film. It's always so nice to sit down and be inspired by people. I, I appreciate you spending time with us. And absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Bye.